More signs of falling inflation in the United States with producer prices lower than expected on Friday. It's pushed two-year yields much lower, but it's still very much looking like a US phenomenon. In Europe, rate cuts aren't expected until the second half of the year. What about the situation in the Red Sea, though? Could that delay the recovery in Europe? And while we're talking geopolitics, what's China going to do about the Taiwanese election? And the long haul to the US elections starts today with the Republican caucus in Iowa, even though it's Martin Luther King Day today. It's Monday, the 15th of January, 2024. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, big falls in bond yields last week. U.S. two-year treasuries were down almost 24 basis points last week. Ten of those on Friday. Uh, last week was a bad day for iron ore as well. It lost 6.4% over the week, more than half of that on Friday. Most commodities were down last week, although Brent and WTI were up on Friday at 1.1% for Brent, uh, up to 78.30 a barrel. It was a good week for equities. The Nasdaq was up over 3%, for example, over the week, although uh, we had few gains made on the ASX 200, which fell a little on on Friday. Friday also saw little movement in the United States, but a good day for the Euro stocks 50, which climbed 0.8%, 0.6% for the FTSE 100. And the currency that did the best last week out of the majors was the pound. It climbed almost 0.3% compared to a 0.4% fall in the Aussie dollar, which is now down below 66.9 US cents, which is back to where we were in early to mid-December. But let's make sense out of those two-year bond yields, which fell quite a bit towards the end of last week. Here's NAB's Ray Atrill in Sydney. Presumably, this relates to the producer price index, a big coincidence otherwise, the uh, PPIs that we saw on Friday out of the United States, which came in quite a bit lower than expected, didn't they? Yeah, morning, Phil. But uh, I think you'd have to, looking at the sort of the tick charts, uh, you'd have to say it was those PPI numbers that did did most of the damage as far as yields were concerned. Um, So both the headline number and the uh, X um, or the core X food and energy measure uh, both were 0.2% lower um, relative to expectations and uh, the significance of that and we've talked about it before is that when it comes to the the PCE deflator which is that inflation measure that the Fed uh, trumpets over the CPI numbers which you remember uh, disappointed markets last week uh, the read through is that, that that core PCE number that will get towards the end of the month um, should come in no higher than 0.2% so I was just doing the maths on that and if it is 0.2 it means that uh, PC deflator will be below 3% for the first time since March 2021. Um, and if we add up the last six months numbers, including December, if it is 0.2, that will keep the annualized rate um, below 2%, the Fed's target. So I think in that sense, I think the market reaction was pretty justified. It was. And in fact, perhaps, you know, surprising there wasn't more of it. Maybe we'll see more of it uh, later on this, this, this week, because this must change expectations for a cut, doesn't it? Um, well, we've seen a little bit of Remember, sort of, we ended last year, uh, remember, with the market 100% confident in terms of market pricing that the Fed would be mm. cutting rates by 25 basis points at the March meeting. Over the you know, the early part of January, we saw that um, market implied expectation come down to about 58%. And if I look at pricing as of Friday night, I think we're back to uh, just under 80%. So, um, you know, the market has been, uh, you know, spent part of Friday at least uh, pricing back in. Um, a higher probability of, uh, of a cut. Whether we're going to get it or not, certainly Fed officials uh, don't want to be giving any sort of sucker to the idea that uh, um, but they're still talking.
talking about uh, needing to keep rates, uh, you know, where they are for some time. But um, that's still, you know, we've still got a lot of uh, data to flow under the bridge between now and that March meeting. Well, it didn't jolly along the equity markets in any great shape, did it, on Friday, even though they've been doing fairly well up to that point. Uh, so, you know, even though the prospect of, uh, of of less inflation. But I guess we also had quite a few big bank earnings, and they, by and large, missed their forecast, didn't they, in the Q4 results on Friday? Yeah, well, they certainly underwhelmed. I think that, uh, I mean, we had seen, you know, market analyst expectations being scaled back quite significantly. Isn't that always the way ahead of the results so that the hurdle for exceeding expectations is never very high and um, you know JP Morgan for one for one you know comfortably beat its its EPA uh, EPS estimate sorry and um, but its stock was down 0.7 and the sort of overs and unders across the uh, the five banks that reported on Friday but um, the upshot of that is that the financial subsector of the S&P 500 lost 0.2 percent against an overall 0.1 percent gain for the S&P and where higher oil prices boosted the energy sector so that was the main sort of supportive factor so um yes yeah, so earnings season underway but um so far um equity markets haven't found a lot to cheer about it so those falls that we saw in yields bond yields in the united states i mean we're not seeing the same obviously in the europe or the uk because we're not seeing inflation coming down quite so much i'm just wondering um how the whole situation of the red sea could stop that happening i mean could it keep prices higher for europe as supply chains get challenged uh i know philip lane from the ecb has been saying you know aside from that that it's going to be the middle of the year before we start to see uh, any talk of uh, of rate cuts for the for the ecb but i mean it's a risk factor isn't it what happens in the middle east oh absolutely it is but uh, so far you know we haven't seen you know whatever we talked about we talk about geopolitical tensions for the last 50 years it's always been what's it doing to the oil price but you know obviously now it is the sort of broader potential implications on goods prices from you know shipping delays basically so supply chain disruptions as well as you know the higher cost of having to ship goods through the uh, cape of good horn for example but um, so yeah. far well, it's two weeks and reduces capacity. I mean, it's a double mm-hmm. whammy. That's right. In the meantime, we've still got, you know, strong evidence of ongoing goods of disinflation or outright deflation. So it's going to take quite a lot, I think, to uh, mm. to cause a reversal there. And the focus for central bankers is still going to be, you know, very much on, on, on services, inflation and wages numbers. And that's what the ECB chief economist, Philip Lane, was speaking about in, in Dublin on Friday. And he gave an interview with the Corriere della Sera newspaper published on Sunday. And, uh, you know, the key takeaway is what he said, the interest rate cuts aren't a, aren't a kind of near-term topic. He said a false dawn, too rapid a recalibration can be self-defeating. And he said it'll take time to see if wage settlements are decelerating and that some vital wage numbers won't be available until well into the second quarter. And the uh, the killer quote is, by our June meeting, we will have those important data. So, you know, the market is pricing, it's got a, a more than a 25 basis point cut priced for the April meeting and a whole 66 basis points by June. So they're still thumbing their nose <laughs> at the messaging from uh, Mr. Lane that's saying that, uh, you know, we're probably not going anywhere at least before June. So, um, mm. again, market is, uh, as with Fed pricing, really, is uh, still not prepared to, uh, not to take central bank comments at, at face value. Right. Now, look, uh, Friday's data from China uh I'm assuming the weakness here is uh, why we saw this big fall in, in iron ore at the at the tail end of the week, because we saw very weak credit growth in China, didn't we? New wine loans well below expectations. 
And there is the expectation that today the midterm lending facility is going to be cut. Um, last time it was cut was in it was in August. I mean, did, has it really had much impact? Is it going to have much impact? Um, probably not. Um, I mean, the, last week the talk was of, of reserve ratio cuts, which uh, is the proverbial pushing on a string, putting banks in a, in a better position to lend money that nobody wants to borrow. And, uh, and those aggregate financing and new one loans numbers, as you say, underwhelmed expectations. And it is things like sort of local government bond issues that are holding up the overall uh, credit numbers. So, you know, at the margin, you know, cutting rates, making borrowing costs uh, uh, lower. Um, you know, they certainly can't do any harm, basically, but whether they have a meaningful impact on uh, on credit demand is, is pretty debatable, at least anyway. I mean, one thing it will do is keep, um, you know, bond yields in China, you know, relatively low. And we're seeing sort of ongoing you know, capital outflows. So the, the, the uh, Shanghai uh, index, for example, which was one of the worst performers towards the end of last year, has started the week very much in the red. So, um, you know, capital outflows preventing, uh, you know, a strong Longer CMY appreciation, I think, is one of the fallouts from that. But um, but yes, we are expecting a 10 basis point MLF cut, as you say, uh, today. And then midweek, we're going to get the key uh, Q4 GDP numbers as well as the December activity numbers. So I think they'd have the potential to be more market moving, I think, than, um, than Friday's numbers. And uh, assuming we do get that MLF cut today. And, you, you know, you've been saying, you know, just a few moments ago that geopolitics really doesn't, you know, doesn't really influence markets a great deal most of the time. And yet last week you were talking about, you know, we should be watching the Taiwan elections because if it's a win for the Democrat Progressive Party and they did win, Lai Ching T won over the weekend, uh, they are very much pro-sovereignty. Uh, and uh, China's not going to be very happy about that. Well, we know China's not very happy about that now. But I mean, it is... A continuity of a position, isn't it? I mean, China believes that, you know, they're going to eventually be unified, but they haven't done anything about it so far. Is this really going to change anything? And, you know, can we expect any market response in reality? Well, I think the reality is that we should probably brace ourselves for um, some sort of show of uh, show of military force. Perhaps, obviously, the, you know, the, the Chinese military have been engaged in, in activities in, in the, the straits there for, for some time. And you're right that it is continuity. But, you know, if we just cast back and, and look forward to the election there was a view that if you know if china is intent on unification and it's repeated that uh, intention um during the, the course of uh, president xi's term um then what this does do it says that while the dpp is in power the prospect of a, a peaceful reunification are, are uh, you know are much lower than were it the case that one of the uh, the opposition parties had come to power so in that sense i think it is you know it is relevant um you know, whether it's going to have a profound impact or not, I'd, uh, I'd suggest probably not. I mean, you know, one of the things that isn't going to happen is we aren't going to see the, the, the semiconductor sector disrupted. China is, uh, as we said before, is, is as dependent on the chips coming out of Taiwan Semiconductor uh, as much as the big US tech companies are, NVIDIA being the, mm. the prime example of that. So I don't think we're going to see any disruption from trade. But um, also, you know, with this result, we aren't going to see any reduction in the, you know, the sanctions that China applies on 
on uh, things like agricultural trade and also tourism coming from China into Taiwan. So it's um, it's a disappointment uh, for, for you know in that sense from an economic point of view. But um, let's see if there is any fallout. But uh, for Joyce, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of a, a risk off response. Now it's a sh- should be a quiet day today because it's Martin Luther King Day in America. But they do have, I mean, more politics. The uh, that the first of the Republican caucuses is uh, today for Iowa. Uh, so it's a two horse race. It's turning out to be, isn't it? Really, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. Although in Iowa, the polls are showing. 48% for Trump, 20% for Nikki Haley. But I saw a CNN poll saying New Hampshire, uh, she's only uh, seven points away from him. So it's going to be uh, an interesting race. We better start looking at actually what she stands for and what she what she means for the world, because maybe, just maybe, she will win it. No, that's certainly possible. And uh, so some other polls that uh, I think you may be referencing the same poll that, that I've been seeing, that uh, which relates to the New Hampshire primaries, which I think are in uh, a couple of weeks or maybe a week's time. Mm. Um, CNN so- there's been a, a big improvement in, in Nikki Haley's poll standings. And, of course, we don't know for absolute certainty that Donald Trump will be the, the GOP candidate, at least, anyway. So um, so there's certainly a narrowing of the gap there. So I think this caucus, I'm not quite sure exactly how it works, but it's a sort of a town hall meeting amongst the sort of um, Republican Party faithful. Um, and I think there's a bit of a show of hands after the after the debate. So uh, there will be some kind of tally on the, you know how Trump, affairs relative to Haley. So to certainly uh, interesting, of course, because it's the first uh, sort of political event of the year in that respect. There'd be uh, more than usual focus on it. Yeah, get your social media flooded uh, with uh, clips of uh, Donald Trump, no doubt. Look, uh, not much is there today because of that uh, Martin Luther King Day. We do get the full year GDP growth figure for Germany or lack of growth. I think it's forecast to come in at about minus 0.3% for the year, which is a bit of a disastrous situation for Australia this week. Uh, that's about about it for today. But if we look ahead to the week, uh, labour market data and consumer confidence locally. No, I think the labour market numbers will be important. And um, <clears throat> now we've got a, a stronger than consensus view there. We think that employment could be up towards 30,000 and the unemployment rate potentially ticking down if that is the case. We'll also get the latest consumer confidence read on uh, on Tuesday will be of interest. But um, but yeah, it's a relatively uh, quiet day. So I think those China numbers midweek are probably the highlight. And then the US, I'd probably probably pick retail sales as, as the most important one, and also on the Fed speaking circuit, uh, Christopher Waller as um, you know, I think he's definitely one of the ones to watch and has been at the more hawkish end of the spectrum, but uh, but has sort of moderated his views in recent months as inflation's come down. So mm. I think he will be the uh, the choice uh, Fed speaker this week. Uh, UK's got CPI and labour market data this week as well, of course, and Japan has its national CPI. There's an expectation actually that number is going to be. Re- Revised down, so there we are. They're seeing off the worst of it, and they haven't pushed interest rates up. But, uh, no, well, the uh, the the the, uh, the source report from GG Press on Friday was that when the BOJ meets later this month, they may revise down their fiscal 2024 CPI forecast. It was revised up sharply uh, in the last iteration, I think, to 2.8, largely because of higher energy prices and because energy prices have come up a lot. That would justify something of a downward revision. But um, you mm. know, 
there's nothing um, that is going to prompt the BOJ, uh, famous last words, to do anything in uh, in January. I still we're still looking at the, the wage round and yeah. you know better information perhaps by April to see whether a policy change could finally be afoot. Right, fantastic. I know you're feeling a bit under the weather this morning. No one would know, Ray. You managed to bluff your way through all of that without us uh, having any idea. So you can close your eyes and have a bit of a rest now. But thanks for coming on and doing that for us this morning. Thanks so much. Cheers, Phil. And that's it for me today. Uh, back again tomorrow morning. See you then. Thanks for listening in.